Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and we discuss issues about the business of agriculture, the food, fuel, fiber, farming industry that we're all part of, that we love so much. You know, this is a business. The reason I called this podcast The Business of Agriculture, it's a business. We have huge amounts of money that flow through this business. Now, I know it's always popular for farmers to pretend they don't make any money, but let's face it. We've got millions of dollars of capital at risk. We have huge machines that cost a lot of money. It's a business. The assets are big. The capital requirements are large. So one thing that has always struck me is that ag people will do the hard work, scrimp, they'll sacrifice. They will do everything they can to build on those assets, to pass it on to their loved ones. But then they won't always do the hard, I'm sorry, the easy work of protecting those assets. And then there are the squabbles, which is why today's guest is going to help you See the light. He is Dan Gordon of Gordon & Associates, a law firm in Indiana, my home state. In fact, he is my estate attorney. I am going through some changes as I just picked up some new real estate. Decided it was time at age 49 to rework my estate plan. And I thought you might benefit from this because there's always these questions that you're afraid to ask until it's too late. Dan Gordon, welcome to the show. Hi, Damien. Glad, I'm glad to be here today. Well, we just had our meeting, and then I tacked this on. I hope I'm not being billed, but even if I am, it's worth it for my listeners. The people listening to this show are from all walks of agriculture, Dan, and they, they're out here. They're farming the ground. They're selling the seed. You know, it's the gal that does uh, human resources for a, a machinery company. It's the guy that is out there, uh, you know, doing nutrient management. We've got the gamut of agriculture here in North America listening to this show, and I want them to benefit from what happens in this business. So, Real quickly, because they're probably going to say, who is this guy, Dan Gordon? Okay, you're an attorney from Indiana, a farm boy, and take me from there. Well, I started out, uh, you know, like you said, uh, growing up on the family farm, went to Ball State University, then I graduated from Harvard Law School, practiced law for a while in Indianapolis, uh, then decided that I would rather work uh, for farmers than for people who lived in Indianapolis uh, and had investments in uh, businesses in Indianapolis. Um, and now I've been doing that for 30 plus years. Um, and I, you know, it's hard to count how many clients we've got, but uh, in, in our software system, uh, it says we've got over 5,000 clients. So 5,000 clients, you told me an interesting thing before we started recording this, that you looked at as a farm person, and a lot of our city brethren don't fully understand this, the amount of of real estate value out here in flyover country, as the Los Angeles to New York set calls it, every section right here in our little part of the world, you've got acre after acre worth a certain amount of money, and you decided you had the ag background, you had the legal background, you had the Harvard Law degree, and you said, I think there's money that needs to be protected here, and there's money to be made in doing the right thing by it. Is that how it came about? That's exactly right. I looked at that section of land, which is 640 acres, and at that time it was probably worth 6,000 an acre. Today it's probably worth uh, eight to 10,000. And I thought at 6,000 an acre, there's $4 million there in each section of land. Each township has 36 sections of land, and uh, pretty quickly you figure out that there's a lot of a lot of value there. Yeah, and again, our city and suburban friends don't fully see it or understand it, but there's a lot of money here. And then again, there's a lot of moving capital. You know, you've got the grain bins, you've got the grain itself, you've got the machinery, you've got all those other components. So our listeners again are from all different aspects of the business of agriculture, and and from uh, you know Canada and here in the United States generally. But I think ag people have a lot of commonalities, whether you're in, you know, Connecticut or California or anywhere in between. 
ag people will scrimp. They will save. They're very conservative. And, and so are you and so, are, and so am I. They will work really hard. But then they won't do the easier work of actually managing their business. And part of that comes down to protecting their assets and managing their business affairs. Do you agree with my assessment? I agree with your assessment. They don't want to talk to me because they think I'm going to charge them too much, not realizing that what I charge them is a pittance compared to what they've got to lose if they don't. Yeah, so what do ag people need to know? Well, they need to know that, first of all, it doesn't take a, a lot to get a plan started. They just have to think about it a little bit and make the phone call to their attorney or their CPA and say, okay, what do I need to do next? Uh, and start getting the, the paperwork in place. You know, and that's start with the power of attorney. Now, and many of them, and, and many of the people in agriculture, obviously they, they have this, but I'd say that maybe they haven't done it fully. My mom and dad were, were hardworking people, blue collar people. They raised us kids, but you know what they didn't do? They didn't think like business owners. And that's a big point that I try to make to the folks out here. Uh, always look at your position as a business person and say, what would I do as a business owner? I mean, even if you are a, an employee and you still just own some real estate, you know, maybe you inherited mom and dad's uh, farm and you're, and you're, you know, you got 80 acres, you own it with your brother and you're, and you're out here having a normal job. You still are part of this thing. And there's probably some protections you should put in place and some legal work you should put in place. Which brings me to definitions. Dan Gordon of Gordon Associates, real quickly. Wills, estates, power of attorney, health care declarations, trusts, living wills. Oh, you're overwhelming me. Give me the quick and dirty on each of them. Power of attorney is a document that gives someone else the authority to make decisions for you that when you're not able to make those decisions for yourself or don't want to. Okay, so our friend that goes out here and, uh, you know, they're hardworking and uh, he falls off the combine and bumps his head. He needs somebody to make decisions. Where's that grain going to go? Who's going to pull the trigger on marketing it? Who's going to uh, deal, deal with stuff at the bank? Power he, of attorney? Yep, power of attorney. He needs to make sure he's got somebody that uh, holds his power of attorney because it's all of the things that you mentioned, plus who's going to pay the property tax bill tomorrow. And also, you just told me and my wife that we should set up a general durable power of attorney right now. Not even just, oh, well, if I'm incapacitated. We should have somebody right now because then it doesn't have a holdup. Explain that. Well, if it's in place now and you're in an automobile accident tomorrow, you and your wife, uh, the person that holds that power of attorney can pay the property tax bill the next day. They can pay the medical bill. Even if you're going to be back on your feet in six weeks, somebody's got to take care of your finances in the meantime. So everyone listening, no matter what level they're at, should do a legal setup, get their papers in order, and the first thing they should do is... Power of attorney. Okay. Financial. What's the second thing that they should do besides this? Appoint, and by the way, you recommend they appoint one power of attorney, maybe it's the spouse, and then a second and a third, right? In the case yeah, of, let's it's say... Always, it's always good to have a backup because you and your spouse could both be in that automobile accident at the same time, uh, and you need the backup to be able to take over. What's the second thing that a person needs and to protect themselves from uh, all the perils that exist out there? I think the second thing is you look at it you have to look at how your assets are held, but you look at a will or a trust to deal with your assets when you're gone. Um, that's probably the second thing. And when you want to have your will, then and everybody always says, this is what always bothers me. They say things like, you know what I've been saying? When I'm gone, I just want to have this, this, and this. And you say, well, you're telling me that sitting here while we're drinking coffee at the co-op. I can't do a damn thing about it. Now, can I? No. So, so a will does that, right? Will does that. The two things that a will does 
uh, that need to be done. One is it tells the world who you want to handle things uh, after you're gone, who's in charge. And then the second thing it does is who gets it. Perfect. Next thing that a person needs to know in terms of legal documentation they should be uh, addressing. I think you look at your assets and say, okay, who's going to get this when I'm gone? And how do I make sure that it's still there for them to get it when I'm gone? Okay. And that becomes now uh, protecting the assets from the tax man. It becomes t protecting the assets from uh, the nursing home. It becomes protecting the assets from uh, the, uh, greedy, the greedy relative. What are we talking about? All of those. Uh, tax, historically, it's been the federal estate tax. That's been the, you know, the, the one that has bothered people the most over the years. That one's not as important today because the exemption from that tax is a lot higher than it used to be. Well, we can go ahead and say right now it's over $11 million. So if you had a, a whole bunch of assets but, and you died in the old days, not that long ago, if you had $1 million, which folks is not a lot, if you had $1 million of real estate and, and machinery and, and cash investments at the bank, $1 million, anything over that would be taxed up to 55%, not counting your, your home state. Now it's $11 million. So a lot of folks don't worry about that. But what's beyond federal estate tax that folks need to worry about? Nursing home. Next thing is the nursing home. And that's the one that's probably uh, becoming the top item on people's list today. They're looking at it and saying, okay, this farm has been in the family for the last four generations. How can I make sure that if I wind up in a nursing home for any extended period of time, that the farm isn't going to have to be sold to pay my way? Okay, and there are protections that can be put in place to prevent that from happening, right? Yeah, uh, there are about four different ways that you can do it. All of them involve basically getting your name off of that farm in some way, uh, but you can still reserve the income from the farm. Uh, you can still reserve the right to live in the house, um, but you've got to do something so that the name on the books is someone else's. You and I talked before we started recording about a living will. In the old days, they used to kind of tell you, you should have this all mapped out. You should have a living will because I don't want to have tubes going down my throat. I don't want to be kept alive with artificial hydration. And then maybe the thinking changed that now instead of a living will, you need a person you can trust and then a second and third person you can trust that you can put in place to be your healthcare representative or your healthcare attorney, in fact, I think is another term you call it. So talk about that real quick. Because after all, we got, for instance, a lot of people listening to this are farmers, and, and I'm not being morbid here, but a lot of times that uh, we talk about it, it's a high-risk uh, sort of job. You can get injured. You, you know, you can get caught by the, by the grain auger. You can get injured out there. And so who is going to make your decisions? That becomes an issue. Yeah, and I think I, you look at it and say, okay, I don't know today what those circumstances are going to be 10 years from now. What kind of injury I have, what kind of illness I have, what kind of treatments might be available. So maybe it's more important to have that person in place to make those decisions that I feel comfortable with rather than trying to guess today what the decision ought to be. Now, you can still give that person some guidance. You can still say, okay, don't hook me up to everything or try to keep me going for a while before you unhook me, but you... You, you, the most important thing is to have the right person. Yeah, and you told me and my wife we should have three people because, uh, obviously, this, this thing happens. But as you pointed out, you don't know for sure what happens. And the idea that you can map that out, you really just need somebody that is thorough that you can count on to handle that. The difference between a will and a trust? A will is a document that spells out what should happen to your assets and who, should, who will be in charge 
after you're gone. A trust is a contract between the person who sets it up and a trustee, which can be the same person, that says, okay, for the assets that I've put into that trust, this is the person who is in charge of those assets, this is what they're supposed to do with those assets, and that trust can be in place now, uh, and it can last from now until after you're gone, and then for a while longer, depending on what state you're in. It can last for years. For some of the folks that are listening to this that are uh, land holders, a trust might be a better option, it sounds like. Yeah, I think there are seven reasons for getting into a trust, but it can be asset management, it can be privacy because you don't want, you, the trust doesn't have to go to the courthouse, the will does. Uh, it can cut down on some of the fusses. Uh, you mean that people in agricultural America worry about privacy because at the courthouse it's not all confidential? You mean that the folks at the courthouse might blabber their mouth down at the local tavern or coffee shop and then everybody in town knows your business? Well, it's not just that. But a will, once it's been taken to the courthouse to manage your estate, uh, is a matter of public record. One thing we see, Dan, a lot of is LLCs and when it comes to property holding. Um, why do that or why not do that? Set up a limited liability corporation. Well, back up to the idea of a trust. A lot of times we're looking at a situation we're saying, okay, how do we hold title to this land going forward? Do we do it in an LLC or do we do it in a trust? Generally speaking, in my mind, I look at it and say a trust historically was meant for the holding of land and it can be set up so that it's not easy to change. So if you're pretty sure of what you want done, you can do it with a trust. On the other hand, an LLC historically has been more of a business relationship and it's a little more flexible because the people involved in the LLC can change the terms that you used when you set it up. So, so if you, me, and your sister, and my neighbor all were going to buy something, we would want to own that as an LLC because that gives us flexibility and it's a holding method as well as a distribution method. Am I right? Correct. And, and, then, and that eliminates squabbles, we hope. Yep. And on the other hand, if you and your wife want to put that same piece of ground uh, into a, uh, an entity that you can say, this is what we do with it. This is what our rights are, and these are the people that are going to get the income in the future, and the property can't be sold, and by the way, I want this person to have an option to buy. Those types of things where you, you know best, and you want what you know to be the best situation to be carried out. That's a trust. Folks, I really do hope you value this. Uh, we've, we've done over 50 Business of Agriculture podcasts, and I've had a lot of things on here, you know, from, from manure management to, to soy, uh, you know, soybean uh, producers to uh, seed genetics uh, people. And this is valuable because I see these things being so overlooked because right now there's someone that's sitting there saying, you know, you're driving down the road or maybe you're sitting in your grain truck and you're, you're on your way to your next sales call. Uh, working hard in the business of agriculture, and you're saying, yeah, I got to take care of that. I, I've been thinking that we need to do that. Oh, I, I talked to my husband, and we probably need to get on this, but we're not really old. If you have children, if you have assets, if you have a desire to have things go the way you would like them to go upon your demise, for God's sakes, handle this. If you want to eliminate squabbles and fights, handle your legal affairs. So the person that thinks they're too young at age 30 should still probably have some legal paperwork in hand. Am I right, Mr. Gordon? Yes. The person at age 30 who's got young kids needs a will or other document in place that spells out who would be the guardians for those minor children if they're gone. Because let's just say that uh, something terrible did happen and they're 30 years old and they have two young children. 
Who makes the decision? I know a grandma comes swooping in, a grandpa from the other side comes swooping in, maybe an uncle, maybe someone that just wants the social security payment and all of a sudden you have a fight on their hands. Who makes the decision? The judge. If you don't have it spelled out in a will, the judge is going to make the call. Say a person is 40 years old, they're, they're on their way to their next business appointment and they're an ag person and they're saying, yeah, but I don't own a lot of farm ground and I don't even have kids. Why do I need to have legal paperwork in place? Well, they need to have the legal paperwork in place because they may want somebody to be able to make those decisions for them that they wouldn't be able to make for themselves if they were in an accident. So that's when you start thinking about the powers of attorney. Then there becomes protections of what you have. You know, a person that's 40, 50 years old has more than they realize, sometimes more than they count. They have a little bit more holdings than they probably give themselves credit for, and then they got to protect that. What trend do you see? By the way, I guess the point is, no matter how old you are, it's never too early, nor is it ever too late to meet with a qualified estate attorney and handle your affairs. Any last closing thoughts on that thing? Yeah, it's never too early, but also, just as importantly, it's never too late. I have people that say to me, gee, we didn't do our planning for the nursing home when we were in the 70s, and now we're 80, 85 years old. It's too late for us to protect the farm, and I say it's never too late. There's always something that we can do uh, to help the situation. So, in case you forgot and you just uh, you just stepped out and got a Coca-Cola, I'm Damian Mason, your host of the Business of Agriculture podcast. Dan Gordon of Gordon Associates is my uh, guest. He's my attorney. He handled my family's uh, estate issues, and he handled mine. He's doing some rework for my wife, Lori, and I, so I fully not only endorse him, I'm hiring him, and I said this would be great because a lot of my friends out here in agriculture could benefit from his knowledge because all he does is agricultural situations. Pretty much his practice is just agricultural estate planning. He has other people in his office that maybe do a few other things, but this is what his company does. Protects people like you and guides you in how you can be better off in the business of agriculture. What trends do you see, Dan, that people in the business of ag maybe don't see? What's happening? You know, size, growth, legal maneuvers, regulatory issues, government policy, taxation, just kind of start going down trends you see that folks in our industry would be well to be aware of. The first thing is that historically people looked at it and said, hey, when I'm gone, it's fine if my three kids own this farm together. And today what happens is that if any one of those three or the spouse of any one of those three decides that they want some cash, they can force it all to be sold, at least in Indiana. It's easy for them to force that sale. Even one of three can one force three a sale. And all of a sudden, the two may be the kids that say, well, one of them's farming it and the other one it works in town and, and works in, you know, in Denver and just wants to uh, retain it. Now they are forced to buy the one third out. And the, or, or, or have to go to auction and bid for the whole thing. Against the person down the road. Next door. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing. Second thing, all of those things that you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the common denominator of all the rest of the things that you mentioned is that they all relate to property rights. I think one of the things that we're going to see more and more of is the whole issue of what does it really mean to own that piece of farm ground out there. Uh, the zoning people can tell you what to do with it. The drainage board can tell you about uh, where your water goes or can't go. Uh, you've got the uh, you know, people, you know, people telling you that it's all right for somebody to walk across your farm, mm -hmm. uh, the trespassers. 
the road, the trail people want to use that railroad right, right away across your farm to build a trail uh, for uh, everybody to bike down. Uh, eminent domain, you know, they want to they want to put the the sewer the to help the city nearby or maybe even uh, connect your property to uh, another sewer system. So do you, do you see, because yeah. so few people are out here and we've got, become such less agriculturally oriented that there's less respect for property rights? Yes. And so that's where we need to double down on uh, on our, I guess, our fight. Yeah. Uh, is that that's something Farm Bureau should take on more and, and more. And that's something they do. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to use your power of eminent domain just because you and 13 tree huggers want to build a, 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 <laughs> a bike path through my property doesn't mean that you get to do so. Yeah, or you're not going to uh, be able to put in your new quad building for the, the hogs um, because there are a half a dozen people that live three miles away that are afraid that the, the smell is going to be too much for them. And we've talked about that before here on the Business of Agriculture podcast where I say, you know, uh, with the lawsuits that are going on in North Carolina, the third one, the third one had a verdict here about uh, three, four weeks ago, and it continues to the verdict. The dollars keep continuing to go up. The judgments continue to go up against hog production. Legal maneuvers that uh, are happening now that didn't happen five, ten, fifteen years ago. What's going on? And like, let's just talk about what the smart the smart owner does to protect the heirs that says, oh, well, you know, when, when we die, when, when grandpa and I die, we're going to just pass this on to the three kids. And like you said, then one of them says, great, I want to sell everything. What do you prove? How do you prevent that? Simplest thing to do is to put something in the will or trust that says that the person who farms has the right to rent uh, continuing uh, for the next five years uh, at fair market value rent, or that that person also has the right to buy the farm ground. Um, and by, by putting those options to rent or buy into the documents, uh, you've prevented it from being sold on, at auction on the marketplace in a situation where they may not be able to bid, may not be able to get the financing they need to buy. Regulatory environment from a government standpoint, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, we, we've defeated waters of the United States. We see other things. Are there going to be things, times where we need to hire you to protect us from our government besides just eminent domain? Well, you might not be hiring my firm, but uh, we can we can we can definitely advise you on it. Uh, yeah, the, you know you have uh, fence line squabbles, you have drainage squabbles where the the neighbor says he's entitled to drain uh, you know his new business building onto your property. Uh, you know we've got you know the waters of the U.S. might have been defeated, but I still am concerned that someday they may say, gee, if you put your tile in every twenty-five or thirty feet. Uh, it's going to, the water's going to drain off too fast and get to Lake Erie sooner than it should. And then all of a sudden we're going to have more of an algae bloom because yep. the water yeah. came in too quickly right. with too much uh, nutrients. Yep. So this is time now for our commercial break. We always do this at a certain point in the podcast. You're saying, Damien, who's the sponsor of this week's Business of Agriculture podcast? Well, it's the same sponsor it always is. It's me, Damien Mason, reminding you that in 2019 or anytime, if you have a need for someone who's comedically funny, who delivers great commentary with an agricultural economics and business of agriculture background, think about me because I will make your meeting worth attending. I'll make it worth your while. I'll make it fun to attend. And I'll also give you great information that maybe the local politician or the professor from the nearest land grant university couldn't deliver. That's your plug for me here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. All right, Dan Gordon with Gordon Associates. 
Funny thing that I see, because I've been around ag people my whole life, they say things like, well, I just want to be buried out there. I just told so-and-so I don't want to do this. And I always try and tell these ag people, none of that crap matters if it's not legal. You can't sit here and tell me that while we're in line to dump grain that you just told told your kid he gets the farm. He doesn't, he doesn't get the farm if there's seven other kids that think it's theirs. We've been through all this. You've seen this. You could probably go on and on about it, but tell me about some of the costly mistakes, the ridiculous things you've seen happen in agriculture that could have been easily avoided. Probably one of the biggest right now is the farmer who still retained total control of all of his assets until he was 93 years old. And by that time, uh, he hadn't put anything in place to govern that situation after he was gone and to keep the fuss from happening between the two kids. So now you have two kids fighting over 2,500 acres of farm ground. And they're both in their 60s and 70s. Both and, in their 60s, yeah. And, and not, not one thing happened uh, ahead of time. So you see these mistakes. They're costly mistakes. They're easily avoidable mistakes. Why do, they, why do you think this? I, I think there's two things. First off, ag people, especially old farm types, they've got an independence and they also are suspects. They've got this idea they're going to save some money by not hiring somebody like you. What are the other reasons why they don't address this? Fear of death? Fear of admitting that they're going to die? What is it? Inertia. They just don't get around to it. Um, yeah, they're going to do it tomorrow. Right. They're always going to do it tomorrow. So are you, are you listening to this, please, dear listener? Do not think you're going to get around to it tomorrow because it is important today. What are the kind of things do you see happen out here that uh, are easily avoidable? It seems to me like the offspring issue is the big one because I just went through some of that where there's a chance that people are going to fight and the parent doesn't really want to make the decision because it's almost like they think it's going to then... Uh, uh, it's going to be magic. Yeah, or, or, or my, my mother, I think, didn't really want to make uh, too big a decision because she's afraid that somebody would be mad or somebody... That's what I think you see happen, and then they end up mad. Oh yeah, they're going to be. Uh, there's going to be a fuss anyway. So the best thing that you can do, you don't have to choose sides. You just have to spell out what happens. What's the worst squabble fight blow up you've seen? Oh, probably the the ones that are the worst are the ones where I've seen lots of them. <laughs> uh, but, but the ones that are worst is where. Uh, the, the people at the end of the day are not speaking with one another. Uh, the farmer, the farmer child, winds up having to sell out, and they move to another state because there's nothing left there for them, and they don't want to. They they don't want to drive down the street in their hometown because they may see their brother. Yeah, and that and that is because that could have all been prevented with proper estate planning, which is interesting to me that people will work so hard and be so scrimpy and so savvy and so conservative, but then not do the right thing to set this up for the long haul. On the flip side, really smart things that you're seeing, and again, I know that you and I talked about it from a scale standpoint, some of the larger operators that are doing things right are setting up these uh, LLCs, and they are probably poised to continue to expand because they're doing the things legally that need to happen, and also if they can keep the money flowing behind them. Tell me about some of those you're seeing. Well, what I'm seeing is the family... That that would separate the operation from the land ownership and maybe include all the kids in the land ownership, but do so in a way that that land is going to be available for the farming operation for the foreseeable future. But once you get enough land into that uh, LLC that owns farm ground, 
the cash rent that that LLC is collecting from the farm operation is enough that it will finance the next farm purchase. So you've got these things that are gradually, they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because that next 80 acre farm that comes up can be paid for by cash. Mm -hmm. They've accumulated the money in their uh, land-owning LLC. They can pay the they can pay for the next 80-acre farm with cash, and the neighbor uh, who doesn't have that kind of backing is going to be out of luck. Now, of course, if there are a lot of heirs and then a couple of them want out, it it, it causes a little bit more of a of a temporary problem because now they've got to buy those people out. Yeah, so it it's, a matter, a, it's, it's a temporary problem. Because they can look at the paperwork to set that up can say, okay, if someone wants out, the others have an option to buy them out, or maybe they have to buy them out, but you can set the price at a reasonable price, and you can say, okay, we've got 10 years, we've got 15 years to pay them off. So it's just one more acquisition. Yeah, just one more acquisition. Recommendations, ideas. We went through a whole bunch of questions there uh, on farm estates, legal issues, dealing with agriculture. Any ideas that you have that came up that we didn't cover? Any recommendations, any thoughts, anything we missed? Just try to avoid common ownership. That's probably the biggie right now because that's going to result in uh, things disappearing. Common ownership. Explain that real quick. Three people each owning a one-third interest in a piece of farm ground. Mm -hmm. And what's the problem there? Because any one of the three can force it all to be sold. I see. And then if it's uh, if one person's in a majority, how's that work out? If one person's in a majority, they they pull the levers, right? Correct. Bold. By the way, we always close out the business of agriculture with our final thoughts and bold predictions. Give me some predictions. Give me what you see. You've been around a long time. You've done a ton of work in the in the agricultural law. Excuse me, agricultural law environment. Bold predictions. What do you see happening? I think farming is going to continue to consolidate, not just at the seed level and the fertilizer level, but it's going to continue to consolidate at the land ownership level and in the farming operation. It's not just going to be the, you know, the chickens. It's not going to be just the ducks. It's not going to be just the hogs. Eventually, it's going to be the grain producers um, and the land ownership that will be consolidated. I get in trouble with some of my, some of my audiences when I point out that poultry and pork and, and uh, has gone con through a contractual situation on production. Will it end up being that way on milk? It looks like it's probably going to be. Will it be that way on corn and soybeans and wheat and oats and canola? And I think that it probably will eventually go that way only because the, the risk is mitigated that way. I believe that there will also be consolidation, and I don't wish for it. I'm from a small Midwestern farm myself, but I can tell you what I've seen over the last 200 years of being a student of agriculture tells me that we're probably going to continue toward that. Final thoughts, Dan Gordon of Gordon Associates. Do your planning. Don't put it off. That's as simple as it gets right there. You've got assets. You've got children. You've got a life. You have a job. You want to be better off. Why not? Again, I, I would say it's about agriculture people. They're willing to do the hard work. They're willing to save and sacrifice to save something, to create something. Then why not do the easy work? Oh, it might be emotionally taxing for a day or two. Go meet your attorney. And if you happen to be in Indiana or any other state, how many states can you practice in? Right now, just Indiana. Well, actually, we can do some in Ohio, too. Okay. Indiana or Ohio, and you're listening to this show, give my friend Dan Gordon at Gordon Associates a call. He's working for me. I recommend him. I recommend you, no matter where you are, do meet a state attorney. Do meet an attorney. Get your legal paperwork in place. You don't want your children to go unprotected. You don't want your assets to go unprotected. Cover your ass at 
I'm Damian Mason. Thank you, Dan Gordon, for joining me. Thank you, Damian. Glad to help. All right. I'm Damian Mason. This is the Business of Agriculture. Till next time, thanks for joining us.